Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. It says we're live. Good evening and welcome to Critical Witness, where we talk about Christianity, ethics, apologetics, evangelism, uh, pretty much anywhere that the conversation takes us. And uh, tonight we've got Justin Briley with us. Uh, Very glad to have you on, Justin. So thanks for spending a bit of your evening with us. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. We, we'll just get straight into it. We've got an hour with you, so uh, won't waste any time. We can do updates about our, our blogs and things <laughs> at the end. But um, it'd be great just to hear at the start um, a little bit about your story, how you became a Christian, and maybe a little bit of where apologetics and evangelism fit into that story, if they fit at all. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, well, um, I, I had, you know, the blessing of growing up in a Christian family. Um, uh, my mum and dad were actually kind of saved as uh, students at university, actually. They both found faith um, while they were at Oxford University um, and joined fairly shortly thereafter, a fairly sort of radical sort of house church movement known here in the UK as the Jesus Army, um, which I was born into and my sisters as well. Uh, so I was in, in that. It was a kind of... Um, in a way, it it, it it was seen by some as slightly cultish because it was quite a closed kind of community. Um, but they believed they were kind of doing the whole New Testament, living together, having all things in common sort of thing. But I was in that until my parents left it um, when I was probably about seven or eight. And uh, and then they started attending a, a fairly sort of more mainstream, let's say, um, charismatic, independent kind of church, um, which became part of New Frontiers in the end. And so that was where, really where I found my faith was in that context as a teenager. Um, I'd say I was kind of up to about the age of 15, kind of going to church and happy to go along, but I wouldn't say it meant that much to me on a personal level. Um, uh, it was really through, a, I would say, an encounter with God on a, a youth weekend that I went on that um, things came alive for me, the penny dropped. And I'd say I had an encounter, as I would see it, you know, with the Holy Spirit that sort of really changed things for me. Things kind of went multicolored rather than uh, black and white. They, it was sort of, uh, I'd say there was a sort of, you know, real moment when I could say my journey with Christ started. Um, And that's different for everyone, of course. My wife, Lucy, you know, is much different, kind of more of a gradual you know just dawning realization of god and she couldn't put a sort of firm point at which she made a decision but for me that was sort of the way it worked Hmm. and um and yeah and that 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 kind of really um set the course for my sort of later teens um just got into uh doing things like leading worship uh, on guitar with uh, my sort of uh, youth group and that kind of thing um uh ended up going uh to university and um, was quite involved in uh, Christian arts and drama at university. I led a little arts and drama group that did sort of evangelistic skits out on the street and at Christian union events and things like that. Um, And so uh, 
that was that was very kind of fruitful time. I was also reading a lot during my gap year, especially um, people like C.S. Lewis and others. And sort of, I didn't, I don't think I even knew the term apologetics actually until later on. But I think I, I was developing an interest in the the kind of intellectual case for Christianity because I'd had a very experiential kind of conversion in many ways. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't long before you know, especially at Oxford University, you get uh plenty of questions thrown your way and plenty of doubts thrown uh, having said that there's a very strong actual Christ student christian movement really at, uh, at oxford so mm. there's also plenty of great people out there to help you answer those questions but um, i would say i did go through uh, certainly a spell of quite intense doubt and wondering whether it was all true and that kind of thing um towards the end of my first year but um but you know i'd say it was it was really helpful at that point to draw on some of the um apologetics that that what i was able to delve into at that point people like cs lewis and others um and and perhaps that set me up a little bit for what would come later on in the journey which was after university met my wife lucy uh we got married sort of um after university we went away on a gap year um doing some mission work in africa and when i came back uh, she began training for ministry and i started at Premier Christian Radio, uh, where I sort of learned the basics of radio broadcasting, journalism, that kind of thing, and eventually ended up um, a few years in asking, could I start my own show? And that is what became Unbelievable, um, which is really an apologetics debate program, weekly program that's been going since probably end of 2005, I think. Um, oh, lovely dog. Sorry, my dog Matt just ended, yeah. <laughs> came to listen to you <laughs> uh, at least we've got one more listener yeah that's uh, it it's <laughs> a growing viewership <laughs> so um uh so so yeah I, I i was interested in in sort of trying to break out of the purely christian bubble of broadcasting and, and do something that appealed to a wider range of people and um and at first i was sort of it was more about helping christians to understand um how to better engage friends and neighbors and skeptical people because it was primarily a Christian audience that the show was broadcasting to on, on a Christian radio station. But I was inviting these skeptics and others to come in and, and do these dialogues and conversations. But then when we started podcasting and we were fairly early, early adopters on the podcasting front, um, suddenly we started to pick up a lot of non-Christian listeners as well who enjoyed just hearing the dialogue and debate. And that's, that's when it became really interesting because it became like a more of a neutral meeting place for mm. Christians and non-Christians as a show. And, and that's where it really grew, grew and ballooned from. So I think of it primarily now more as a, as a podcast and video kind of debate show as a meeting place for Christians and non-Christians. And it also exists on radio. Um, mm. So, so it's a sort of, um, it's interesting the way it flipped really over time from being primarily a radio show to, primarily a podcast and, and video channel because that's really where the bulk of the the listeners and viewers are now across the world not just 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 in the uk so mm. that's sort of my story really in a nutshell yeah. um yeah there's, there's one thing that, st that stood out so i just have to jump in because it was such a minor detail but i just thought it was interesting was the the evangelistic skit <laughs> yes where's what's happened to that <laughs> do, do people what, still do them do well i don't know I'm, I'm not really up on it anymore um i i don't know i imagine they do maybe it sounds really corny and probably it did it was a bit corny in some respects but i think um well done well they can be actually quite quite effective mm. um uh, our most popular one or the one that we use the most um, was actually based on the 
song Every Breath You Take by The Police. Oh, really? I thought and, you were going to say uh, Everything by Lifehouse because there was that one that went around. Well, it was <laughs> kind of like, uh, there was that really popular one, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, and the one we did was a kind of mime that I think they kind of ripped off actually for that for that for that popular skit that was that did the rounds you know a while back but ours ours involved this sort of it's kind of told the story of the gospel really but through these ribbons that um a guy gets bound up in and then jesus comes in and takes the ribbons off him and mm. gets crucified with them and it's quite it's actually quite a powerful bit of drama and i've used it several times since university in like local church contexts for easter services for outdoor kind of evangelistic things that, that have been done in the town center and and the the power of it is actually in the fact that you don't actually have to understand the language. So I had people who were like non-English speakers coming after after we did it in a town centre once, saying that was amazing. What you know that that was so powerful because I think sometimes the, the uh, something done well visually um, works. Obviously, it can be really corny as well if it yeah. doesn't work, but 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 done well, it can it can be quite powerful still. Have you been surprised by how popular the show has been with non-Christians? Because I was thinking about you earlier and I was kind of thinking, um, in, in, in one sense, you're probably one of the most uh, well-known Christians amongst non-Christians, in, in, in a sense, from the UK. Like, because, you know, given that there aren't many Christians in the UK who um, would have the listenership that you have uh, you know, from the sort of sceptic community, like you, uh, you, you're doing something that no other UK Christian really has, really does, or even has access to those people. So is that, is that? Yeah, I mean, it's you huge, it is a bit of a surprise. I mean, in the sense that I didn't, I didn't honestly set out, as I said, with the show, with the aim of reaching non-Christians, because in a sense, it, it started on a Christian radio station. So I knew that the, the, the niche was inevitably going to be that, but but I suppose it took me, it did take me by surprise in the sense when I started hearing a lot from non-Christians saying they'd picked up the show and, um, and really the, the, the way that that happened, you know, via podcast at least was um, whenever I had someone reasonably well-known from the atheist community come on, mm. they might then share the link with their, on their blog or social media channel or whatever. And I'd see a whole little new wave of people joining Um people saying, oh, you never normally catch me listening to a Christian radio station, but you're the one exception kind of thing, your podcast. So, so that was a real surprise, and, re and but very welcome. And, and did, I, I would say, kind of change the way I started to, to kind of pitch the show, knowing that actually there was this audience of both Christians and non-Christians. So it kind of made me actually more aware of my role as, as, as trying to, at some level, try to be quite neutral as the moderator, so that people felt like, they weren't just coming to a one-sided debate sort of thing um, so that people genuinely felt like I was there just as much to listen to the non-Christian and, and hear their position and have it well represented as, as the Christian, um, which I think, um, you know, in, uh, in the long run was a really good thing because actually I think it makes it more interesting for both sides when you can, you, you feel like you've got someone who's being fair to both, both positions in the middle. So yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was, it, it's a real privilege to have that um, platform where I'm, you know, where thousands of non-Christians are listening to the show every week. That's really great. It's, um, uh, and I, I have all kinds of conversations with, with non-Christians over messaging on social media or email or whatever, uh, many of whom, you know, uh, and it, it's rarely kind of, I've become a Christian thanks to your show, but it's often people who are 
trying to figure things out. And the only reason I can think that they're listening to to my show is because they've they've got an interest in questions that they that they want to you know explore. So um, so yeah, it's a real privilege to to be in that position. I remember, I remember you saying a while, like quite a few years ago, that you were um, when the, when the show first started, you get quite a lot of criticism, and Premier Radio got. You know, when it was because you used to have live calls didn't you for a while yeah yeah um and um like do you still get criticism of of the show now or to christians are, are they kind of sold on what yeah what it's do? a great question i i mean it's funny but hardly any criticism at all now because i think it's become such a kind of set part of of premier's output um that so in the early days it was a bit of a shock for Christian listeners on a Saturday afternoon to be hearing atheists kind of trashing Christianity on a Christian radio station. And they said, we've got the BBC with plenty of atheists. Do we, do we have to be infected with it on our Christian radio station <laughs> as well? Um, which I understood. And um, in a way it does, it does unbelievable does kind of break a lot of the rules of radio broadcasting in that way, generally speaking, you know, small commercial radio stations like ours should basically be, <laughs> only broadcasting things that will make people want to listen and and you know you have to uh, you know get your niche audience and then give them exactly what they want but so it was a brave step really when they commissioned unbelievable because it's it's not a comfortable listen necessarily for the yeah. average christian yeah. you are going to be challenged by some of the things atheists and so on say uh that's why my role is really important though to sort of make sure that i'm balancing that conversation and bringing on hopefully a suitable counterpoint to it from the christian and i think in the end those who didn't like it just learned to skip that one and a half hour slot on a saturday afternoon frankly i mean it's never anyway been if i'm perfectly honest in our kind of like peak listening hours you know saturday afternoon is not exactly you mm. know um 8 a.m on a monday morning um but it's it's kind of been happy to just sort of be there people who want it tune in for it but really, in a way, it's the kind of show which inevitably thrived on podcasts because uh, it, 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 it was kind of somewhat unique in what it was doing. And people were able to obviously get it any time of the day or night when they wanted to. Mm. And so it, it kind of quickly built up its own listening community there as well. But still got a kind of faithful radio audience who, who come along on Saturdays for it. Though uh, it has actually recently moved its, its normal slot to 6 p.m. in the evening. So we're probably right. picking up a slightly different crowd now than we used to on, on radio. So, yeah. So how, how long, and you've got the, the title of your book is 10 years, but when did you start thinking I could write a book on the, the sort of stuff that I've... Uh... Yeah, it probably was at about the 10-year mark that I started to think about writing the book because the show, as I say, I think it started... Um, end of 2005 so yeah by the end of this year it'll be 15 years that it's been on air um the podcast sort of archive doesn't go back quite that far because we, we started podcasting a couple of years in um but yeah it was around the 10 year mark that i started writing the book probably um and uh i probably and and then the book itself got published in 2017 so uh but 10 years is 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 a, a bit more of a catchy it is subtitle yeah. to the book 12, quite after, 12 and a half years yeah exactly <laughs> doesn't quite have to say ring does it yeah, so you're gonna have so, to do the uh 20 years when it's uh well exactly i'll i'll do it an updated version uh, in a few years time which will be 
why after 20 years yeah. of talking about I'm still a Christian, believe still it or not. Yeah. It could be the whole Aaron Ma- uh, Ra meme. I'm not sure if you've, uh, What's you've that come one? across that. He was in a debate where he was just lauding over Michael Jones of inspiring philosophy. How that is 20 years that he's been doing this atheism stuff as a sort of, I've got the experience. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and no one's, no one's ever proven God's existence. Oh. So. Not in 20 years. Only 20 Gosh. years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever had Aaron Ra on? Uh, no, I haven't. I did. I did get in touch with him once or twice over things, but it never materialized. Um, and to be honest, I'm not massively familiar with his stuff. If I'm honest, no. I, I haven't, I haven't listened to an awful lot of his stuff, but yeah, um, you're not missing out on a great deal, Okay, but he does have quite a, he, he has a very, quite a large online following. So, um, you know, I'm yes. sure yeah. from that, from that yeah. perspective, it would be, it would yeah. be interesting. But. Well, I think he was, he yeah. was very much one of those people at the sort of, uh, in the heyday really of the, the big atheist blogs, wasn't he? Um, yeah. The, the kind of PZ Myers and, Aaron Raz and you know when Richard Dawkins when it was you know the, the Richard Dawkins website was a fairly thriving place for for skeptical dialogue I think I think a lot of those blogs have sort of well they may still have a lot of readers and so on but I, I feel like the 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 action has moved more into sort of Facebook and Twitter and everything else social media uh, so so those characters don't quite dominate that sphere as much as they they once did perhaps yeah, I mean that's quite a nice move into your recent uh, video that you released, the one that you did for Spring Harvest, um, on on how new atheism has become old. Um, it would just be interesting to talk a little bit about that. I mean, there's, there's quite a catchy phrase you used that the culture we have has a, a meaning crisis. Mm. Um, just well, it's not my phrase, really. Where, where did you pick that one uh, up from? Well. Um... Uh, there's there's a, a kind of thinker called is it I can never, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right Dan you might correct me is it John Verveke I want to say something like that but um, Paul Van Der Klee who you guys Paul might Van know yeah. no channel awful. he's he's uh, we'll go with that one he's he's, 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 <laughs> he's frequently um, blogged and vlogged on this um, but but he he's also referenced um, uh, Verveke as well on this whole idea of there, us having a crisis of meaning. Um, so I, to some extent, as as one person said on Twitter, um, I, I was just compressing three years of Paul Van der Klee into one uh, 40 oh, minute okay, video. I really. saw that comment. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's um, yeah, I mean, the video is really just pointing out what a lot of people have already pointed out before me, which is that uh, to some extent that the sort of the heyday of the new atheism um, is behind us. Um, and a lot of the the sort of what Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris were doing back in the mid two thousands with their publications feels feels a bit dated now. And, um, you know, I think people got a bit tired, frankly, of some of the shrill fundamentalism of, of that side of the movement, um, just as much as they were tired of maybe shrill fundamentalist Christians. Mm. Um, and, uh, it feels like, um, uh, what I essentially say in the video is it, it feels a bit like, we were promised a great deal, you know, a great utopia once we shed ourselves of religion and get into a free thinking, rationalistic, scientific mindset. But of course, that hasn't happened. Um, mm. And in fact, the movement itself kind of splintered off and uh, consumed itself to some extent because no one could agree on what they existed for. Yeah. Ultimately, were they just going to be free thinkers 
doing free thinking or were they actually <laughs> going to stand for certain values and if so what were those values well i want to be a feminist and i think it's all about lgbt rights and other people were like no but that means i can't say what i think about this and that and suddenly you know it all suddenly they realize that they're as far as I see it, see it, 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 it kind of, um, it, it, to some extent, it resembled, you know, what sometimes happens with churches, sadly, mm -hmm. which is they split on doctrinal issues, frankly. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the same time, it, it kind of, it, it, it made me realize that um, it's when, when you're kind of basically just assembled around a kind of denial of something, mm -hmm. when you try and actually assemble around something actually positive it's it's a bit of hard work and and actually working out what you believe matters in life is not simply a case of denying god and expecting everything will come right mm. by believing in science it science is great at describing the laws of nature it's not really good at describing how you should live your life unfortunately and um and so you know a lot of the atheists or a certain proportion of the atheist community has actually started to you know not bother so much criticizing religion but is a lot more concerned about potentially you know freedom of speech and academic freedom and so on because of the rise of certain forms of identity politics and mm. you know the woke stuff and all of that mm. where they feel there's a new form of um a new kind of danger that's that's appeared um that's potentially just as dangerous as you know right-wing fundamentalist christians is another form of fundamentalism where you you cannot question this or that ideology um and so it's been interesting to see the way that actually in some ways you know um there's been some unlikely bedfellows made between christians and secularists who are both worried about a common um sort of issue around uh you know, uh, some forms of identity politics are around gender and sexuality and race and so on. And, uh, and, and I've increasingly seen unbelievable kind of pick up some of those cultural conversations through some of the most well-known, you know, critic, critique, critics of, of it, um, Jordan Peterson and, and others. I mean, it was interesting because, um, I mean, years back I had Peter Bogosian on the show and mm -hmm. anyone who knows Peter will know yeah. that he kind of rose to prominence as this, Portland atheist professor um, who published this book, uh, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and he was responsible for this street epistemology movement, basically sort of, you know, how to dismantle a Christian's faith in, mm. you know, such and such easy steps. And I had him on the show with Tim McGrew, as I say, quite a long Remember time ago. Remember that show? Now. Great show. Yeah. Really, really good show. Yeah. And Tim McGrew, frankly, you know, some would say took him to the woodshed, mm. but um, it, it was... Um, but it was interesting because uh, I went back to Bogosian several times after that and said, do you want to come back for another discussion? And he was like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then eventually, um, a couple of years ago, um, yeah, almost exactly two years ago, I approached him because I was going to be doing an event in in Portland um, for a, an unbelievable conference we were doing in, in Oregon. And um, uh, I was tr looking for an atheist guest to come on to have a discussion with Sean McDowell on stage. And I reached out to Peter and he said, very kind of you to ask me, but actually I'm kind of done with the whole criti critiquing religion thing. Um, my focus is now actually the progressive left, which I think has mm. just gone. And it, it was at that time, though he hadn't sort of formally released it yet, that he was working on this whole sort of spoof uh, parody uh, academic research um, posing to be some kind of serious paper, but but just using all these ridiculous terminology to kind of send up the whole 
um, the way that he believes academia has gone in this ridiculous direction. Um, and uh, and so it was interesting to see all that come out um, shortly after that. And, and him to actually say to me, uh, I'm actually far more in tune with a lot of your side now than I actually was. Uh, and, and that he just saw it as pointless, actually kind of critiquing religion any longer because he thought, because I think, and I think in, it's funny because even people, when even people like Bogosian, who was incredibly, you know, anti-religion in, in his writings, who basically said, no, actually I've realized um, that Christianity, I may not agree with it, but actually it's it's got more going for it than some of these other worldviews that I'm seeing mm. emerge. It's just a, an extraordinary turnaround. And I think you see that with the number of other secular thinkers who are no longer getting upset with Christianity, but are, but realize actually um, the Judeo-Christian foundations that my secular culture is basically built on. Um, well, we're in danger of actually undermining those foundations and maybe Christianity wasn't such a bad thing. I may not believe it, but actually uh, it, it gave us the ability to have academic freedom and these institutions of learning and so on. And uh, and there's a lot of, you know, concern that that's all being undermined suddenly when you basically take away the foundations. And that's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, Peterson and Murray and Holland and others have been sort of saying in so many words in, in various places. So it's just been an interesting way in which that conversation has moved on. And um, people seem less interested, at least in the public sphere, with just bashing Christianity mm -hmm. um, and more interested in actually looking at the bigger picture and the way Christianity has shaped shaped the world and, and that we throw the baby out with the bathwater potentially, at, at, you know, to our own danger. Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, as you're speaking, like I, I miss the new atheism in a, in, a, in a way, like I miss the how easy it was just to have conversations because if someone found out you were a Christian, they'd be like, you know, they'd be going for, oh, God doesn't exist. What about, you know, what about the Inquisition? Jesus didn't exist, you know, and all these things. And, and, and I miss how easy it was to have those conversations. And, and what I find frustrating is that the new atheism has been kind of replaced with a kind of new apathy. So it's just people don't, it, it's not just that they don't care. It's that they also presume that um, the questions they have can't actually be answered by religion like there, there isn't like the religious answer has no validity to it and so they've kind of just sort of well, all, the, all there is all that's left um you know there's sort of that vacuum that's left and it's not christian christianity doesn't it's not even perceived as having a, a you know a valuable mm. um response to that um i don't know I, I might disagree with that slightly in as much as um Firstly, I think, you know, there are plenty of enclaves of new atheism that still exist, especially online, where, you know, mm. you're, 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 you'll find many people who are happy to, to, to still have a debate with you on those sorts of issues. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I, I've sensed a new openness in some quarters, at least, to Christianity and to having a, conversa a serious conversation about it. Um, I agree there's a lot of apathy out there as well. But I think there's also a kind of this this crisis of meaning is actually the reason why Jordan Peterson attracted thousands of young men all over the world and his book sold in the gazillions um, is because there's there's a kind of he was scratching an itch um, 
And it was an itch that he, in his own quirky way, said this the, the reason Christianity has provided so much meaning is because it tells this fantastic story that is all about meaning. And um and and he's been very much a critique critic, you know, of the new atheists and the kind of the supposed meaning that their kind of world without God leaves you. Now obviously it's all shrouded in a little bit of sort of Jungian philosophy and a sort of, you know, is it just useful rather than true and all of that sort of thing. But I think he's he he has at least opened the door and others like him to to a, a, a an actually interesting conversation about the value of Christianity and belief. The question is whether it leads on to, you know, an actual encounter with the living God as you know that that for me is where I want people to end up in all of this that that for me is is the natural end point of all this but um but even where it doesn't necessarily it's it still feels like the culture has at least gone away from that that very kind of simplistic approach uh, towards religion to something that feels a little bit more nuanced now that might just be because I'm tending to notice those conversations more and and naturally have the, the the show has sort of been in the orbit of people like that more but i suppose i'm I'm a little bit more um optimistic that uh actually as people realize the sort of scientific new atheist thing didn't actually provide any meaningful solutions to life and as we see our increased use of technology and everything else simply produce more problems of isolation and whatever and as we see people struggling with identity and and not knowing where to find value and purpose in life it feels like um christianity is kind of waiting there it's kind of waiting until people realize that the answer's been there all along and um and while and and it can be frustrating to in the waiting phase but my my hunch is that um at some you know i i just sense that there's kind of a tipping point very often in culture where suddenly people realize, you know, that this humanistic philosophy or whatever just isn't delivering. And that's when there's an extraordinary open door potentially to Christianity reviving again. And, and I, as I see it, Christianity has always come in revivals. It's always come in, you know, places where it's been like this and then you go into this trough and then it comes back again. People have predicted the, the death of Christianity many times in Western civilization, yet it has this interesting habit of of coming back. And uh, and I just wonder whether whether we might be starting to see just the beginning of the tide starting to come back in in some way. That's that's my that's my hope and prayer. I wish I wish I was as hopeful as you. I think I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a natural pessimist. I fight my pessimism each each day. I think I think the thing I like about new new atheism is that. That people saw religion as something um, that were it was worth attacking. Mm. I think you're you're right in terms of online. Yeah, I mean it hasn't really gone away. Like I, I had a look on I was on the unbelievable Facebook page yesterday, just looking through some of the things. I thought I can't be bothered to get into this. <laughs> but, but 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 that was I was having those online discussions offline, and I, and, and I think at least people I now sort of interact with is that they don't see it as something worth attacking. Mm. Uh, really interesting w- whereas before it was seen as this sort of competing 
it was something that, that was competing with mm. with their with their views. Uh, and, and you're right, it hasn't disappeared. Um, but I think that's just the kind of thing I was. I, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. I guess it just depends who you kind of in, in, in I, I think it does. And, and I totally get, I'm very sympathetic. I'd rather have a conversation with a rabid anti-God, you know, dogmatic <laughs> atheist than someone who's just really not bothered either way. Cause you can, you can actually at least, you know, get into the issues and, uh, and get somewhere. Um, yeah. I, f- I found the, uh, a little bit of a different experience. My experience of university was people were apathetic, even though that was at the heyday of uh, new atheism. Oh, you were chatting quite, to the wrong people. I was chatting to the wrong people or different people. Uh, <laughs> it's it's interesting. Now I I kind of experienced what you've been talking about, Justin. It, it, and I saw I've seen that from the, when I was a teacher in in secondary school, seeing students not apathetic but just pulling in all sorts of mumbo jumbo, trying to find some sense of meaning. And I think there's a a massive thing happening with the next generation. Um, trying to find because religion's been attacked they're not quite sure if it's true maybe some of them are like it might not be but i'm going to pull some stuff that's kind of nice Mm. that i've heard maybe not read the bible because that's archaic and anti-women and and all sorts of things um but then there there is this academic level that's reinvestigating the bible like your tom hollands and your Mm. jordan petersons and it's interesting a a comment on the youtube feed um from london theater saying jordan peterson actually helped him become a christian um so there's there's the i would say almost the academic side has shifted so new atheism has has been shown up for what it is and you've got jonathan height you've got um malcolm gladwell i think even to some extent shows how we can't fully rely on our own reason and, mm. and mind. So that's kind of been undermined. And then you've got people like Francis Collins. Uh, we talked to Sigart last week who, or last time, just talk about science actually pointed him to God. So there's, there's a narrative that's shifting in academic levels, but in less academic levels, the attack on Christianity is going on very differently i mean i'm i'm seeing things like um especially from the woke angle that christianity is this white supremacist religion that has to be take deconstructed completely um and there's some there must be some sort of thing happening even within evangelicalism where you've got these these fairly prominent worship leaders and podcasters and and all sorts at least in the states leaving fairly noisily as they go um about how everything's falling apart i'm just trying to in my mind just trying to figure out where this all kind of fits together Mm -hmm. is it the academic controlling culture and it's just going to take a little while for all that to filter down or is culture having a bit of a say or they all split (laughs) it's just a really interesting thing to kind of watch yeah i i I think it's it's all complicated by the fact that um america is is just coming out of its kind of um cultural christianity really um and uh, to some extent, the UK has always been a bit ahead of America on the curve, not not necessarily in a good way, but in, in the sense of the secularization is kind of really is in full swing here in the UK in the way that America is now kind of catching up with fairly rapidly. And so the place of religion, you know, of Christianity specifically in America has has increasingly been coming under scrutiny and threat. And that's resulted in the last few decades the culture wars that exist there and the politicization of of 
uh, religion and everything else. So that what the new atheism was responding to, especially in the States, was was much more this kind of politicized version of Christianity that um, was seen as a threat to liberal democracy and science and education, and everything else. Um, and so in a way, that's that's kind of where the main thrust of the the sort of the new atheist and angst came from against religion. Um, and I think as 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 the even in America, I, I think I've seen a significant shift so that there's there's less less of those concerns kind of bubbling up in the public arena, at least around teaching creationism in schools and that kind of thing. It, it's just not such a, a, a big deal. And I think in that way, um, uh, the, the concerns have shifted into in, into a different kind of sphere where actually there's there's just less there, people are more kind of concerned, I think, about whether the, you know, the progressive left wing ideology is, is potentially more of a threat than, as I say, the sort of fundamentally Christians are to 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 what's going on. And so um, I think I think in a way, you know, I'm grateful for the new atheism um because i think what it did is it forced the church in the west to think about what it believes and to kind of and uh, kept it on its toes frankly and um when i've seen you know various stories of prominent people worship leaders or whoever leaving the faith the the fact is i think what they're leaving is um a, a form of Christianity that they realized did, didn't hold the kind of intellectual weight that it needed to. Now, for me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think if, Christ, if, if Christianity is, um, if forms of Christianity that are, are basically like a house of cards where you pull out one particular doctrine and the whole thing comes tumbling down, well, that was never a form of Christianity that was going to last in the long run. I, I think uh for me i'm i'm not too worried about christians losing their faith in this in a fairly shallow form of christianity or some sort of purely emotional form of christianity or whatever because actually i think long term there's there's far more robust forms of christianity that are now effectively replacing those more kind of emotionalistic and um cultural really forms of christianity that that have been common in in the us especially so for me it's a kind of it's almost like a necessary pruning or shedding of what was the kind of the cultural um religiosity of america mm. that's now being undermined because of secularization and everything else fine that's kind of it's happened here in the uk as well um but that doesn't mean that something better won't come in its place and i think that the danger is that you try and hold on to these old sort of wineskins to use a biblical metaphor and you um when actually what we need is new wineskins for new wine and there's there's a new move i think of um a, an intellectually credible form of christianity that's just as biblical and just as um in a sense um uh, evangelistic but but is 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 approaching things in the way they need to reproach for a new generation you know the the generation that um you know uh, of our parents or grandparents and the Christianity that drew them to faith is not going to look the same as it is for us that the, the message fundamentally doesn't change, but the, the tenor, the approach, uh, the ways that the kind of things that are maybe not so central anymore that need to be discarded and the things that need to be brought to the center are going to be different. And, uh, 
and for me that's that is just part of the the way that god moves through through different you know generations and so i'm I'm kind of less concerned as some people are about you know oh so and so's lost their faith i'm like well maybe they're just shedding something and they might well pick up something better down mm. the line you know the um so you just reminded when you were talking then you met a really good example of why people like peter bogosian um are have kind of shifted in a sense you, you mentioned like the creationism you know and I, and I think when there was a sort of late 90s 2000 stuff where you know people were trying to get young earth creationism into schools and things like that and i think what people realize now is that um you know that was that was kind of focused on you know some states in the south and the midwest and stuff like that but now in terms of the greatest threat to science is not young earth creationists it's it's the new you know the woke left you know you can't even you know going into science classes you know you, you know it would be uh you know it would be wrong to teach it there that, that sex is binary you know that sorts of things that have been basic you know been known for, for over 100 years um so you can see why people like Peter Bogosian sort of look, this is actually yeah. that that's a much greater existential yeah, threat yeah. than young creationism. Yeah, but, and and the big difference is that that the that stuff, you know, um, you know, the fact that J.K. Rowling mm. gets upset about women being referred to as people with cervixes or whatever, is, uh, and that she's not allowed to say that any longer, um, yeah. is is much more threatening because that's the mainstream. Whereas the Christian fundamentalist young earth thing was just like just some wackos yeah. trying to get their way in a few little, you know, district school states or whatever. Yeah. This is like the mainstream. This is now the the majority opinion, or so it would seem very often from the from the way that academia and business and everywhere is moving. And and I think and so I think they're like suddenly like how did that slip in the back door we were yeah. we were worried about this little thing going on over here and there was this whole juggernaut moving in um and and so i can see why why the bogosians and others who are, are are worried about this um have have kind of basically shifted their focus entirely and yeah really, yeah just going back to the meaning thing quickly so you um let's say that you've got you've got a skeptic in front of you and they say, look, Justin, um, you know, life's meaningless. You know, I, I want my life to have meaning. What does, what does Christianity, what does Christianity offer? Well, I would say it offers what it says on the, the tin, uh, Jesus Christ. It's, it, I mean, I, I would want to have a bigger conversation about why they've arrived at this view that life is meaningless. And if there is anything that, they do think of as, as meaningful um and and if 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 they have you know if they have reached some kind of nihilistic viewpoint where they believe we are just you know swimming in a sea of existential meaninglessness or whatever uh i i would simply i guess say to them um well i believe in someone who claims to be the way the truth and the life have you thought about looking at him his life the things he said and did and the way that that his life death and resurrection have given a meaning and a purpose to many many people beyond um i suppose it would be simple as starting at that point and encouraging mm. them to to consider the claims in some ways you know uh i i think you potentially you're you're starting at a really good place with someone who's admitting the meaningless of life i think mm. the harder thing is actually people who say oh, well i don't need 
your meaning because I've got my own meaning um, and we can all have our own meaning, don't you know? That's, I think, the harder thing to actually yeah. butt up against because yeah. then you're having to kind of do the hard work of trying to, I suppose, undercut their their view of meaning and why you don't believe it ultimately does amount to a, a truly meaningful kind of way of, of looking at life and so on. So someone who says life is meaningless, at least you've got the, the, the point at which you can hopefully start to point them in the direction of, because I'm kind of assuming that the fact that it's meaningless depresses them in some way that, that it kind of, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if that's the case, then, then I think you're on, you know, you're, you're on a good ground to start pointing them in the direction of something very positive, um, which I think is, you know, going back to the Peterson thing is exactly what's why he's been so, you know, sadly before he kind of got very ill and sort of had to pause everything he was doing. He, he was so fantastically popular was because he had put his finger on this meaning crisis and suddenly all these basically young men, as far as I can see, majority of them who were basically wasting their life, watching porn and playing video games and not really getting on in life suddenly had this kind of quite sort of get up and go guy saying just basically common sense things most of the time in your room yeah clean your room make your bed and all that um but but kind of overlaid with this whole sort of uh you know life is not meaningless um because there is this this greater sort of meaning and people have been exploring this you know you know did a whole series on the bible and the way it it explores the human condition and meaning and everything else and and people seem to you know in ways that christians would have loved to uh see happen sort of lap this up and and seen it as uh you know incredibly insightful and you know you know people approaching him on the street in tears saying you've turned my life around and everything else Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like London Theist, you know, an interesting sort of wave of interest in, in Christianity and the Christian story. Uh, and we, we wait to see exactly what the fruits of that are in the long term. But the, uh, I, I do get the sense that actually the meaningless crisis has created a bit of an open door for Christianity. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's the only, the only thing that people are turning to, but it's, it's one of the things, you know. Yeah, I really do see people turning to all sorts of different things at the moment, trying to find meaning. And I, I think f- for me, it is that discussion around ultimate meaning and uh, hope and, and why. F- I think f- for me, it's kind of flipping it on its head. Why does it even matter? If, if, any suffering, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Any, um, like, why should I, the, the is and the ought kind of dynamic of why should I live in a certain way? if there's no ultimate mm. thing <laughs> being uh, mind whatever it is that kind of gets to this idea of theism and then working from that well if there's an ultimate being and and we can communicate <laughs> with it then there's a relational aspect and that makes the most sense within christianity and you kind of have this conversation and i, I liked how um andy kind put it in a recent conversation that the claims that we make are actually should be fairly modest in that is what makes the most sense of the world around us. And um, someone in the co- comments there, a guy, uh, I think is a guy, someone named Digital Gnosis has uh, said that they can't necessarily see how things like living forever would make life all of a sudden meaning more meaningful. And that is, di- that is uh, 
was it um they said uh where did he say sorry digital gnosis gnosis um something about deconversion because of cognitive dissonance um between what is taught and what we see in the world and Mm -hmm. i I personally don't experience that um myself um i I see actually a better (laughs) way of viewing the world is that suffering has there is a meaning behind it i can get angry at suffering because there is a purpose for each individual life given Mm -hmm. to them from the one that made them and um i think uh, i mean i i'd agree with the comment that if if the aim is just to live more of more eternal just have eternal life well Mm. that that's doesn't buy you meaning necessarily I, i totally get that but if it's life with the author of life with the the center of everything then that's actually probably stacked full of meaning and um and that's the christian claim that's that's mm. it's life in all its fullness is what what we're promised not just a never-ending kind of amount of you know life that is basically looks like this life it's it's mm. it's a sort of it's a transformed life which is you know and that, that's a huge claim you know um there's i I've obviously need to make the case for why i believe that that kind of life is available to us but i do believe it and and uh for me that that motivates me it kind of it does give meaning it does make sense of things um yeah. it's not to say that you can't live life with um other kinds of smaller you know lowercase m meaning in your life obviously people get all kinds of meaning from family and friends and children and hobbies and careers and everything else but for me the problem with that has always been that all of those things you can get taken away and will get taken away because there's this thing called death and it just is the ultimate leveler of all of those forms of meaning so however much meaning you build up your you know your family will not be there one day your relationship can fail your job you can lose your job you know there are so many things and the question is are you building your life on something that actually transcends all of those smaller M meanings? Um, because if you're not, then you will end up um, basically, you know, that th- there, there will come a point at which you have lost meaning. Um, and, and uh, for me, the extraordinary thing about Christianity is that people who have literally nothing can still live lives of joy, purpose, and meaning because they've got this, different kind of meaning in their life this 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 Mm. thing that transcends all of it um you know you look at the stories of people like Corrie ten boom you know who lost all of her family in the concentration camps and was able to write at the end of that um you know uh it's only when all you have is jesus that you realize that all you need is jesus and and that like is a cliche in some ways but it's actually that that that's coming from actually the mouth of someone who lived that and saw that and the truth of that um you know and the apostle paul when he writes um what can separate us from the love of god can ship prep famine uh, uh the powers of this earth uh, anything in uh, heaven or earth you know he he kind of realized that um this thing called the love of god in jesus christ somehow transcended every circumstance of life there was no circumstance in which we could be separated from this ultimate source of meaning and love and for me that's um that's a pretty good deal uh that's that's something that um you simply can't get from any other sort of secular philosophy uh, which are ultimately contingent upon um these these 
meanings that will run out that will that are inevitably limited in that kind of way there's just on that comment and just with one more point that's been made on here with uh what if you desire something else and my, my response to kind of go on with that is what we've talked about on our channel with a number of people actually because we're all tim everyone we seem to get on it with here is a tim keller fan of some sort and uh c.s lewis. <laughs> lewis and and so we've talked about disordered loves and i think our, our desires can take us towards these other meanings and that's the whole that's the whole point of of living the christian life is is you follow a person not the stuff that we might desire mm. And yeah, so there is yeah, some sacrificial yeah. aspect of following Christ mm. and acknowledging that, yes, we might desire other things that might well give us meaning for a time, but our ultimate meaning and desire is best found. That's, that's the, the claim is that it's best found when we find who Jesus yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I start to see the world through that lens and uh, you've got that often used. Well, yes, for, for me, it's, it's all about, for me, the, the Christian worldview puts all of those things in their proper place and all of those things can become without god um at the center their own sort of mini gods uh you know and and idols of their own family work uh romantic relationships whatever they're not bad in themselves they're gifts of god to us but they only find their proper place when they're in the orbit of our of god being at the center of any of them and they actually become um, we become a slave to them if if they are the the thing we orbit around, and that's why so many people just do move from romantic relationship to romantic relationship because they're looking for that thing which only God can obviously give them ultimately, and it turns from a good thing into a, an abusive thing because because it's not being used in the way it it was meant to be used. And so yeah, I I mean that I I it's 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 difficult I think to to um f to convey that to someone who doesn't share that experience that that we three share in this regard um and i'm not saying that christians are all super consistent in this either because we're all you know human and we get pulled aside by by those things and we're all capable of turning them into into mini gods but uh there is something about the way that when we are, we do put God at the center, it, it does make sense of all of those other things. They, 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 we see them in their proper, they, you know, as, as, as they're meant to be understood rather than as, as being central in themselves. You got a couple of questions, Phil, from the live feed. Yeah, I've got a couple more on my own uh, paper as well, but there, there's a few going on in the, um, the, the chat at the moment uh but one one directly straight uh for you uh from london theist was um for justin what what are your three favorite arguments for god's existence um so in terms of sort of the sort of purely intellectual arguments for god's existence um i i've always loved the moral argument uh because i've always felt it's an in, a very intuitive kind of an argument um essentially the way i make it in my book is is starting really with the idea of human value how do we explain the concept of human value which is set out in things like the universal declaration of human rights you know why do we come up with these particular ways of valuing humans that we say are you know inalienable rights that we're all born with um where did that idea come from and i, I think it comes from the the only way to really ground that 
that idea is is in uh, the Christian worldview, which says that we're all made in the image of God and it gives us all infinite worth and value. Uh, I don't see any way to ground it. I've never heard a convincing way of grounding that idea in a naturalistic worldview. So I think that's a very powerful argument for me. That's a very powerful argument that if we if we believe, if we agree that there is this thing called human rights and human worth and value and dignity, uh, that that's a very powerful pointer towards a God who makes sense of that belief. Obviously, if you want to deny that, as many atheists do, fine. But it goes against all the ways we actually end up treating each other uh, in our in our society. Um, and uh, so, so that will be one. Um, I've always enjoyed, uh, found very fruitful, uh, sort of cosmological kind of arguments, not just the sort of the well-known William Lane Craig type ones, but I just find the concept of why is there something rather than nothing? You know, why is there anything at all? Just, it just seems so fundamental. And, and when you think about it, kind of obvious, but we don't even ask the question most of the time because we're a bit like fish in water. We don't question the nature of the stuff that you know we're, we're we're swimming through which is time space reality it's like why is there a reality a physical reality didn't have to be this way there's nothing about the universe that says it had to exist like this or that it had to exist at all and so it kind of poses the most fundamental question you can pose which is why is there being rather than non-being non-existence mm. um and uh for me um once you sort of put that pebble in someone's shoe, it can have interesting results because I think it does pose a, you know, an interesting question of why, why, why we're here. And, and since we are here, where did here and all this come from? And I find quite compelling a lot of those philosophical arguments that say you, you need to have something like God for any, any of this physical stuff to make sense. Cause the physical stuff is all entirely contingent to the, the philosophical wording um whereas you need something that is um uh you know necessary like a, a necessary cause to start it all off so so that's just a long-winded way of saying um some of those sorts of arguments about where did it all come from i find quite compelling but i think kind of in a way the 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 argument that i think gets used less but is is actually quite important as well is just that argument from from purpose and it's not one that you can put in a philosophical sort of uh logical set of arguments quite so easily but it's simply the fact that we all have a sense of longing for something beyond ourselves for life to be about something which we've already talked about a bit already mm. and, and the question is if if that um if that's something that we all seem to experience uh is it really the case that evolution has just played a horrible trick on us and given us this sense because it wants us to procreate and pass our DNA on? Or actually, is there a real reason why we have this sense of uh, a longing for us to be part of something bigger? Um, and again, I find Christianity a good explanation for that sense of longing and desire for transcendence and so on. You know, C.S. Lewis, again, who I quote all the time, put it very well when he said um you know um a duckling feels the desire to swim while there is such a thing as water people feel uh the desire of people feel hungry while there is such a thing as food people have sexual desires well this is such a thing as sex and if i find in myself a desire which no object in this world can satisfy 
could it mean I'm made for another world? And and I find that quite a powerful argument, you know, that, that there's something deep within us which uh, is looking for more. And um, and I think that's actually, frankly, more than the moral argument and the cosmological arguments. That's actually the the thing that most frequently draws people towards God, that sense of there must be more to life than than what I'm living for right now. Mm. So um, so yeah, I think that's that's probably the the most powerful of all. Yeah, I mean, Christianity is very good at explaining the things we already know. In that sense, mm. you know, like we we seem to know that there is a a, a sort of moral fabric to um, you know to the universe that individuals have meaning as well. That 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 evil there's something you know evil is is not just a, a privation. It's like there's something genuinely bad about evil. Um, there is a good, you know, all these sorts of things is, um, you know, that, that you want to have meaning, you want your life to have a purpose, you know, those type of things that you that, that sort of sense of awe you get when you're in a mountain range or looking at a sunset, you know, why do you, why do you get that feeling of mm. awe at the universe and those sorts of things? And Christianity does seem very well suited to providing an explanation for those things. You know, people don't always find it persuasive, but it certainly offers, um, you know, yeah, it, it's I, I'd say and, and the way I put it in my book and, and the way I've as Andy kind of obviously said, I, I think it's important that you're um, you don't overreach um, mm. and we're not saying it's a slam dunk win for Christianity and you're a fool if you reject it. Yeah. Um, we're just saying something more modest, which is from all the data we can see in the way when we look outside and inside ourselves, it seems consistent Christianity seems more consistent as an answer to all of these pieces of data than the naturalist account of the world. That's my reading of the data, yeah. if you like, and I'm inviting you to consider the same data and ask yourselves those questions. Because um, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I've long learned the lesson having hosted an apologetics debate show for many years. You, I don't, I genuinely don't think people actually just get won over by intellectual arguments. No. There's, there's people for whom it's a very important piece of the puzzle for sure but actually if there's not a kind of internal desire for it to at some level be true i don't think any amount of intellectual argument will ever force you i don't think you'll ever be forced by by the intellectual arguments alone yeah that way i think that's something we've discussed a little bit on this channel before uh, and actually most most of our conversations so far as there's not that many of them have been about the place of apologetics uh with regards to evangelism, with regards to personal faith, where do, where do the arguments fit in? And sort of a little bit on that vein, I realize we're at the hour mark and I'm going to be a bit selfish and just ask the one question from, from my own thinking, partly from you being involved in the media and a book I'm currently reading uh, called Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble. I've got it on my bookshelf, actually. It's a good right. book. I've been meaning to read it for ages, but I just well, haven't got the, the start's good. I can't tell you about his conclusions just yet because I'm still in the middle of it. But um, having read sort of John Mark Comer's uh, Elimination of Hurry book as well, it's similar themes in that. Um, so I'm just, just kind of wondering your thoughts on the level of media that people are consuming is creating this kind of personal buffer of... Mm either intellectualism or just noise what have you found that in your kind of conversations or or in 
responses to people is is there anything that you are starting to think or do differently that might well cut through that noise or do you feel like shows like this one or and adding to podcasts and short conversation are we just adding to noise mm-hmm. rather than I think I think I think we're going through a great experiment at the moment, aren't we? In in our globally, really, of this technology revolution, and we're still at the kind of in the foothills, really, of where it could lead. And um, and we're all just starting to realise the way that it's changed the way we think, and the fact that none of us are reading long books anymore because we can only read 120 characters in one go, and <laughs> and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's really hard to say exactly where it's all going to land at the moment. I think there's, a, as you say, that the feeling is there's a lot of noise. And as people like John Mark Comer pointed out very well, we've kind of lost the art of just concentrating for a bit on something because we're constantly distracted. And, you know, I suffer from that myself in so many ways. Um, so so we're, but at the same time, the on the plus side, you know, I can reach far more people than I ever used to be. You know, your podcast is going to reach people that you could never have reached before the technological revolution took place. So, so there's these pros and cons to this. Um, my feeling is like we're starting, we're just starting to learn how to manage our digital consumption a bit better. We're getting a little bit more of a handle on what's helpful and what's not. Um, how to not, I think there will come a point at which sort of common sense almost has to take over and people learn how to stop their phones ruling their lives and like harness the the technology for better having said that google are probably working against that day and night to make sure that we're as addicted <laughs> as we possibly can be to everything or whatever but but my my again this is probably my optimism speaking compared to, to dan's pessimism um <laughs> i i i my, my hope in a way is that that we'll we'll learn to harness the technology rather than it us being its slave and that um and that the noise will die down as we learn how to live life better with with this technology rather than it simply creating all this distraction now i think i think in a way this is partly what the church has been supposed to be doing throughout history Mm. um we're supposed to be a witness to the the way the life and the truth and there have always been directions that society has wanted to go off in, um, destructive directions, which the church is supposed to be there to, to be a witness and a pro- prophetic voice. To, to, And so I think to, to some extent, the church needs to, um, at this, particularly this juncture, um, be standing up for the value, you know, to, to sort of pull people back from the brink of, of all the noise and everything else and remind them of, and and christians themselves in our own lives we've got a duty to to model that and not just go along with the rest of it so i think um it's it's an opportunity again i think in in all of the distraction and stuff that modern technology brings to actually say there is something more than you know how many likes you get on that facebook post and the kind of the buzz it gives you that uh and I think in a way, this interesting, this whole coronavirus has kind of forced people to stop in some regards and to question what life is all about. Now, what the long-term effects of that are, whether it'll stick, who knows? But I, th- I think there's a sort of, there's always God opportunities for Christians to, to, to be used to speak into the culture. And we're always in a sense 
there's always going to be some new threat to our life and meaning and culture but christians are always that you know christians are being called to be to be that faithful witness and stand against the tide whatever it may look like in in any given time and and you know proclaim christ and and that uh i hope we we will learn to do well in this new technological age we're living in mm. use the best of it but also kind of live distinctively in in that in that whole area yeah yeah i, I, I think that's where i'm at but it's interesting seeing the rise in all this mindfulness stuff and and where the church can can reach out in that it's also what i find i'm just listening to the arguments for god's existence and things like that how the arguments across the internet are very much intellectualized but there there is something and maybe there's a sort of not a market but there's a gap there that needs to be shared the story of, of christianity of people's lives of people's experiences of people showing how to pray even i don't see that at all the sort of discussion about prayer in apologetics and evangelism and it's that invitation of well if god exists and he is the christian god then it's a relational god who's come through jesus and you can ask him to show himself to you and and that's the the sort of evangelism that I think isn't necessarily promoted as much as it could be. Um, I, th I think, I think partly it's, it's, it's the issue with apologetics, which is that inevitably it tends to be the, 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 the debate tends to be most in the areas where Christians and atheists can at least agree on the principles of mm. whether there is evidence for something, you know, whether the, the beginning of the universe or whatever provides evidence for God, because, um, and I think that's that's why it tends to remain in that intellectual sphere, because at least there's a kind of common ground. As soon as a Christian starts talking about prayer and the presence of the Holy Spirit and things, you know, most secular atheists sort of just turn off and say, oh, now they're just talking religious mumbo jumbo. Um, and I get that. And that's why. Um, and uh, and it's frustrating because it, it, if you to, to move in some apologetic circles, you would think that that's all Christianity is a set of highly complex intellectual arguments and of course that's not the reality of what christianity is at all it's a sort of if anything that's just sort of a a little side thing <laughs> to what the actual christian life is about but um i think that i think there's a way in which you know i'm almost like i still do i mean we still do a lot of those kind of intellectual debates on the show but i don't do them as many of as many of them as i used to because i've kind of i kind of reached the limits of what i think are useful there and there's a point at which you can keep layering on more and more technical arguments and you're having increasingly technical conversations, but it's not really going anywhere. It's not really move. There's like something else has to happen, I think, for most people. Um, the reality is most Christians I know who um, have come from atheism, um, as I'm sure Dan will attest. Yeah, there's going to be an intellectual component to it, but there's also going to be usually most of the time a hefty spiritual experiential mm. component to it and uh and it was foolish to ignore that and um and so i that's partly why the show has shifted in recent years more into talking about some of the cultural issues going on where i think there's also a a healthy sort of discussion to be had that kind of provokes questions that just debating the kind of where did the universe come from type questions doesn't doesn't so much scratch 
and and actually getting into those conversations that are more more about meaning and what is life about and uh where are we going and uh how are we going to get there and that kind of thing um that that actually potentially has more fruitful outcomes Hmm. um it's kind of why i decided you know partly to start up another podcast alongside unbelievable which is the ask nt write anything podcast i'm a big fan um (laughs) and not and nt is not everyone's cup of tea but i i found his way of looking at scripture the bible the whole christian narrative really helpful in terms of just giving giving a sort of a way in to the story that's intellectually compelling but also in no way denies the the, the the real spiritual supernatural component of of what it, what our faith is and um and it's interesting because i think I, I probably get just as many interested agnostic skeptics and so on communicating through that podcast interestingly as unbelievable um who are just fascinated by this kind of intellectually sort of rigorous but also um searching and curious and uh open to you know ways of looking at the world and life sort of way that 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 anti rights thinking does um as as just an interesting way of making sense of of uh culture and history and everything else so so um so i think it's uh apologetics is great for a certain period uh and but i almost think like people sometimes need to move on just beyond those kind of pure intellectual type of arguments because you, it's very meager diet in the end you you don't really um you don't really grow up um you don't get very nourished if that's if that's all all that it's about in the end i, I like talking about that sort of shift that you think that the, the show has kind of taken um what I, well, I, I know I, I really enjoy and i know a lot of people like is is the big questions that you've been doing and that that is great like i went along to the um Brett Weinstein and Alistair McGrath one, which I, I really enjoyed. And that, that's been incredibly popular. I mean, I looked at some of the viewing, the views that you've got on YouTube for that. Um, and, the, and the questions you've been asking there have been very along the lines mm. that you were, you were just, you were just describing. Yeah. How, how did that, how did that get started? Well, the big questions, um, the big conversation actually. Oh, is, sorry. Is, is, sorry. Yeah, it's sorry. fine. No, no. Uh, it's <laughs> funny because we're about to launch a kind of um, a, a kind of a, additional, uh, well, late probably towards the end of this year or, or just after uh, there is another thing called the big questions coming from unbelievable, but that's a, that's a slightly different thing. I was, um, I was preempting it. You are. Yeah. Prophetic. Um, the, the big conversation um, really started about, yeah, two years ago um, uh, because we were very fortunate to receive some funding from the Templeton Foundation. Um, and we wanted to sort of uh, really kickstart our, the video side of what we were doing. Um, and uh, it was a grant that enabled us to put some funds into, into really getting that going, the video side, um, reach a, a wider audience through digital marketing and so on. And also just attract some big names, uh, quite frankly, you know, and uh, that uh, that was great. It, it kind of um, really gave the show a huge boost um, producing this special kind of series within a series. So the big conversation from Unbelievable, as I've sometimes called it. And and yeah, um, we were kind of, I mean, lucky, though, God incidents is probably the better word to use that, that um, Jordan Peterson was my first guest mm. on that opposite Susan Blackmore. And that really very good you know, set put the series you know off on a really good footing because that was hugely popular when we released it online because it was just around the time peterson was blowing up and 
and I, I don't know if I'd been been able. To, I just managed to secure him before he went stratospheric, basically. So, I kind of I got him uh, just in time, and probably would never have got him thereafter. But um, uh, that that and that kind of suddenly brought in a big audience interested in those kinds of questions that Peterson was asking anyway, and and then we were able to to sort of um, surf on that tidal wave of of good feeling uh, with subsequent shows with people like Daniel Dennett and Darren Brown and. Peter Singer as some of the the non-Christians opposite people like John Lennox and um uh and Alistair McGrath and, and all those other names that 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 we've we've had on the big the big conversation so that's been really good and uh, very much about asking those kind of those big questions uh around meaning and um but also kind of doing sort of you know some pretty in-depth scientific stuff you know when we had like William Lane Craig opposite Sir Roger Penrose to discuss God and the universe and uh and I just love being able to bring interesting people together that haven't mm. yet sat down to have a conversation and see what happens. And, and frequently they're, they're fascinating. Like that one was very sparky. Sometimes, you know, Tom Holland versus AC Grayling on. That was great. I've yeah. listened to that twice. I love yeah. It. It's that, that was such fun to be in the middle of. And um, <laughs> just think like every like five minutes I was thinking, Oh, that's going to be so good on YouTube. (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good fun. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're working on um, season three. Uh, Probably won't start airing those until the new year, uh, until 2022, uh, 2021 even. Um, But yeah, we're, we're, we're glad to say there's another season of the big conversation in the pipeline, possibly done in, uh, this kind of way sadly because of the the current situation as it stands uh harder for people to fly in from the usa these days but um mm. yeah we're, we're 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 certainly looking forward to producing something are you, on, are you allowed um, to say who you've got on any uh not really partly because oh. uh there aren't many many booked in as yet but <laughs> there's some interesting conversations with, oh, with various people so yeah we'll see what lands I know we, we're gonna we have to round up soon. Yeah. I know we've had a, a, enough of your, long your t- lot of your time already. But I just had a couple, couple of quick questions. Favorite favorite guests and favorite shows that you've done. Do you have any? Do you have like? Yeah. Uh, it's always like asking me to choose between my children. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my one of my favorites. So you already know it's the Peter Bogosian and, and oh yeah, yeah. Was, one was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, I've been I, I've been just re-airing some classics over the summer actually because I was trying to make space for writing a, another book, but um, and and so it's made me look through the archive more than I normally would and and sort of uh, refresh my memory on on some shows uh, from the past. But yeah, I mean, um, I I really enjoyed just one that I just re-aired um, between Nabil Qureshi mm. and Yaya Seymour, and it yeah. was because at the time when Nabil came in, I didn't know him from ed adam really um uh, but obviously saw saw his you know um apologetic career take off thereafter um because i first had him back on in 2009 and of course a very bittersweet show because because he obviously sadly died from cancer in 2017 um but um but just listening back to it um it kind of it, it brought home again just uh, how good some of those conversations have been um yeah. great, great people to feature on the show and so on a personal favourite, um, uh, I, I guess um, I've I I enjoyed um, I enjoyed having. Uh, let's just pick one out there: Andrew Wilson and and um, 
Jonathan Haidt uh, was was really fun because I just enjoy getting people together, not necessarily where you're going to have a big argy bargy, but where yeah. you've got people who are obviously a Christian and a non-Christian, but they're just having a really interesting, constructive conversation. Um, and that can be really good. Same, like much more recent one, um, Sean McDowell and John Steingard. That was really Steingard, good. Who, who, I enjoyed that. Yeah. From Hawk Nelson, who's lost his faith recently, but very, very open to sort of talking about it, exploring it and hasn't, as far as I can see, shut the door entirely on, on Christianity. But, and what's nice about that is I've then seen this, this great friendship blossom between Sean and, and John. They've been out running together because they live not that far from each other. Oh, in Cali- wow. That's amazing. California, it turns out. And, um, which is lovely. And it's always lovely when the show sort of sparks off, you know, other interesting conversations and, and things. So yeah, those are a few, a few favorites over the years. I always like the, uh, the, some of the, fe- the feisty, uh, Christian Muslim ones you used to have back yeah. in the day. Some of those you'd be like, Oh God, stop listening. This is, is going to end up in a fight or something. Justin must but they're be memorable. Like, I don't know if they're yeah. my favorites, no, but no, they're, no, they're no, definitely, no. definitely not favorite, but they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> like, I remember the one where I, I, I probably was wrong to put them, try and put them together. But, um, I had, um, Oh, um, James White and well, no, I'm not thinking of that one actually. There, there's what, well, those were always feisty, but the yeah. one that really got out of hand was um, when I had uh, a Muslim, and it was on the subject of did Muhammad exist? So you can, can imagine. Oh, oh, I know who you mean. Um, and oh, the name's got out of my head. The the Christian um, guest though. Um, I, I know, I know Rob, who you Robert, mean. He runs the um, website Religion and Peace. Um, anyway, it it. Yeah. It, it got out of hand because they were both just lobbing insults in the end at each other. <laughs> Fortunately, one of them was on the phone and one of them in studio, so it, it couldn't come to actual fisticuffs. But um, I had to, at one point, just pause the recording and say, guys, I'm not going to be able to air this if you're just going to be, yeah. you know, basically having this argument, <laughs> essentially, um, uh, and, and lobbing insults at each other. So uh, we sort of, um, I just had to calm it down and, but lots of people said when they listened back to it, I, oh, I couldn't get through that one, Justin. It was, it was just too antagonistic too, you know. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't always go well. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we usually end uh, with a question of who should we uh, look out for? Um, names that we might not have heard before, but you've come across in your sort of circle of influence, as it were. Um, are there any names, be it mm. authors or podcasters or or just people to look out for up and coming? Yeah. I mean, chances are you will have come across these because you, you move in very similar circles. But for, for the wider audience, um, I've um, really enjoyed featuring once or twice um, uh, a young, fresh writer called Esther O'Reilly on the mm. show, who's mm. a great, um, you know, very, very good writer, thinker, um, uh, who's having some interesting conversations in these same areas we've been talking about around Douglas Murray and Peterson and others. Um, she blogs as the um, the young fogey on Pathios. And um, she had a great conversation with Douglas Murray at the very start of this year, actually. That's, I think I saw worth, that. I haven't watched it yet. Worth yeah, watching or, or listening back to. Um, so there's Esther. Um, uh, I think you're having her on, actually. Uh, but Claire Williams, who I haven't yet had on the show, but plan to uh, at some point, uh, who's a great young apologist. Um, so, um, uh, I, I really like, um, Christy Mayer, who you, I think you've also got lined yeah. up. As yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully coming. Yep. Um, 
and um and yeah lots of uh sort of i i think that there's some really great um very creative folk doing much better frankly than me now um stuff on youtube and elsewhere um you know um cameron bertuzzi on capturing christianity mm-hmm. has, has established a really fantastic platform um kind of very much to some extent in the unbelievable mold but but yeah. doing his thing uh in in a really great way um you already mentioned i think michael jones inspiring philosophy some of the so i just think there's there's a great when you look at some of some of those folk who are coming through um you know in their you know a, a younger generation if you like of apologists uh who who i think have just just really taking up the mantle to kind of answer the kind of to to, to be a presence online especially mm-hmm. and and putting out some really significant content it's it's very encouraging in that way um so those those would just be a few um probably i'm not i'm not mentioning anyone that's uh you guys aren't particularly familiar with yet but uh yeah that's 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 a few they're ones. all good people all good people all good yeah. people I think Esther O'Reilly is the one that I've only just sort of clocked on some of the circles, but I haven't really heard her. So I'll definitely look out for her and, and what she's doing. Um, just so I realise we've, we've shot over the time by about 25 minutes, but it's, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to chat. And uh, well, when your your new book comes out, we'll uh, have you on again. We've yes. said that to a couple of people now. There's going to be a whole stream of books coming out in at least a year's time where uh, we're going to lockdown have... books. That would be cool, <laughs> <wouldn't they? laughs> That's it. Yeah. So the way to write it um just uh yeah just want to say thanks for for coming on and um yeah it's been well, yeah thank you thanks, thanks for having me on guys and, and all the best with this this new podcast and video channel and uh i support the endeavors and uh yeah look look forward to hearing and seeing more of what you've got got to come cheers uh thank feel you. free to sign off i'll just sign off on uh on the on the youtube and then uh yeah, well, if you disappear, then we, we won't be too offended. <laughs> right, no uh, thanks, thanks, Justin. It's really uh, sorry for keeping you a bit. bit no, long, no, it's, but, um, it's, no problem it's, at all. Uh, it's nice to, to yeah. get you and then get to, to natter a bit about things. It was such yeah. a disappointment about the uh, the conference. I was I was really looking know, forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Tom well, Holland and we're we're, hope, we're hoping it may be able to go ahead uh, in some form next year. Um, so obviously the chances are we will be doing a lot more um yeah online live streaming type stuff anyway going forward uh, i think that's just proven itself as being uh the way the way things will be uh, and continue to be for a long time but we, we're hoping obviously to get back in person with with uh, some conferences going forward but we'll we'll see what we can manage and uh yeah if you want to check out the show if you're not familiar with the show already um just type in unbelievable justin briley you'll probably come up with some some links on google Yep. And uh, the podcast is there and the, the YouTube channel as well. And ask NT Wright anything. Indeed. Yeah. Sorry, I thought we'd cut. <laughs> oh, we haven't cut. I thought, I thought you were speaking for that. Yeah, we're not cut yet. So just going to say a couple of things for the YouTube. But um, I could do that now. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching us carry on the conversation, uh, thanks for watching and uh, all the chat. Um, thank you, Digital Gnosis and uh, London Theist. We've uh, been... Uh, yeah, great, great to see you all chatting. So I've missed some of the conversation on there. If you'd like uh, to subscribe uh, to our channel, share it. We just have these conversations and seeing where they go, we get to have fun and hopefully you're enjoying the conversations. Um, we also just um, updated the website, criticalwitness.uk. That's got some, we're going to have some blogs on there from other people that don't necessarily want their face on the screen. 
And uh, we've also got a Patreon account if you're wanting to help support the website. Um, both Dan and I have full-time jobs, so we don't need you to support us as uh, a ministry in that way. But it'd be great if you could help us um, with hosting the podcast and hosting the website. That's all, all we're asking for, really. Feel free to get uh, alongside us on that. And yeah, just thank you. We hit 100 subscribers on YouTube. It might seem like a small milestone when compared to how TikTok numbers are, but we're, we're grateful. We're glad that you can uh, join us here. And um, yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, well, on that note, we'll, we'll sign off and uh, we'll see you on the 22nd of August with Mary Jo Sharp is the next guest. So looking forward to that. And with that, I will sign off. Are you not Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.